A center as vibrant as this requires a leader. The leader here can mow the lawn, sometimes he shovels the snow, sometimes he builds things, he teaches. He's certainly been my spiritual mentor. Will you please welcome today's speaker, our very own Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Blessings. All right. Welcome. Last Sunday of uh, 2012. Yeah. And uh, let's, um, let's sing a song and say a prayer. If you'd like to stand with me to sing, feel, please feel free. If you don't want to do that, please stay seated. very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every Spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room, as we take a moment. As Carl Anthony so beautifully said last week, let's take a deep breath. And that breath is the reminder of the remembrance and the presence of spirit in our lives. And as I stand with you in this beautiful moment, this present moment, we need not envy anything that is not complete or right in our lives in this moment because we can't fix any of that anyway. So I, along with you, put down the desire for my past to be any different. My past is perfect. I could have come no other way. Every moment designed, orchestrated, and illustrated by the divine presence and the infinite intelligence based on the subjective nature of my belief system brought into my experience that which will transform, transcend, and allow me to show up on this planet in this form in a way that is grace-filled, love-filled, with the courage and the ability to be present with whatever it is, even the most sorrowful, and even the most tragic. It is also to know that I need not anticipate the future, but to set my intention clearly in the grace and the beauty and the love and that deep divine connection and that conversation of the deep. And knowing that this is what we're about here this day, this present moment. This is the eternal moment. The only moment that you and I have to choose in is now. So if we have sold ourselves short up until this point, it stops now. If we have believed things about ourselves to be untrue, but have restricted that flow of life in and through and as us, it stops now. And not out of resentment or anger or frustration, but out of love to lighten our load. 
and to stand together in this awareness of who we are and whose we are, that there is a power for good. And as we move aside those limiting beliefs about ourselves and the world, that power for good has an opportunity for expression by you and I. And this is a beautiful thing. This has always been the activity of spirit on the planet and upon the face of this beautiful terrain. And so I just give thanks for all that. I release anything within my consciousness that is in opposition to what I've just expressed. I support you in releasing anything in opposition to what has been expressed. So in that collective yes, I give thanks. I release these words. And knowing it is already true and complete in the mind of the one, together we say, and so it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Stefan. It's beautiful. I bought these candles for Christmas, uh, um, our Christmas celebration, which was beautiful. And uh, I was downtown at Winners. I was down seeing Leslie Paul about... Um, some some business. She's a member of our, our board of trustees. And, and so she said, oh, Winners has candles. <laughs> so I go over and I see all these candles on sale because it was a great sale of Winners. And we needed candles. So I loaded them up. I had three bags of candles. And I was parked about four blocks away. And it took me about an hour and a half to carry them in minus 27 to my car because I go about 10 feet and my arms get tired. And I go, what's happened to me? I used to be a young man at one point in time. And because it looked like I had all these empty bags I was carrying, people would not get out of my way. So I was getting out of everybody's way, too. And I thought, well, this is interesting, isn't it? And so you, it, was, it, was, uh, it was spiritual practice, is what I have to tell you. <laughs> so what I want to talk to you today about is a, a couple of things. I want to look back at our year and, and, and celebration, because we, we have just such a, a beautiful, beautiful community. And it is such a, an honor and a blessing to be part of it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to talk a little bit about transcendence because we are teaching the only reason that we come together. You can go anywhere and pray. You don't have to come here to pray. You can pray anywhere. You can pray at home. So I want to talk about the need for community and the need for, I, I think, what we do in a, in a beautiful and unique and wonderful way and why we do that and why we're, we're called together. But I want to share this story with you because I want to talk about this. I think this represents everything I'm going to talk about. This is from a book called Facing the Lion, Being the Lion, which is one of my favorites by Mark Nepo. We do not have it in the bookstore. We get a couple copies and it sells as soon as I reference it, but we'll get, we'll get some more throughout the year. And I know that I frustrate the bookstore people, so I want to thank you right now for me mentioning a book we do not have. But sometimes this stuff comes to me in the middle of the night and it's not time to order the books. But he's telling a story about a great teacher that he had, he spent, and he, he spent little time with him, but he was a poet. And he said that uh, he, it was an event that he attended where this man presented. His name was Stanley Kunitz. He died recently at the age of 100. And I think this book's about 10 years old, so you know, sometime in the last 10 years. Others knew him better and studied with him longer. And through his work, it was clear that he, the longer he lived, the more he became a holy poem himself. He wants to find the art Defined art as the, I love this, chalice into which we pour the wine of transcendence. The chalice into which we pour the wine of transcendence. And, and I thought, what a beautiful quote, because today is a bit about transcendence. I remember uh, almost 25 years ago when he came to the University of Albany where I taught. He read in a hall to about 300 of us, his soft rhythmic voice boring below our mask, giving rise to the one place we all swim in. And when he finished, a young student raised his hand and asked, how long did it take you to write that poem? 
I'll never forget how he started to answer. And then all of a sudden he stopped, as if he was distracted by the voice of an angel that only he could hear. He peered off above us for what seemed like minutes of silence. He returned to the crowd and answered, my whole life. With that, he made me realize that we only see a dolphin when it breaks the surface. I love that metaphor. We only see the dolphin when it breaks the surface of the water because it spends most of its life out of view in the deep. So it is with the poet, with the artist, and the lover aching to be loved. Stanley was such a dolphin breaking surface before us that night. His confessing as much as much affirming the truth that we are all poets, artists, and lovers. He made me realize that even when silent in the deep, we are writing poems and birthing art and loving. And more importantly, the poem is writing itself before, before breaking surface through us as the love is writing itself into the world. The beauty of it all is that though the gesture of life's breaking surface like a dolphin stuns us, none of this, not the poem, the painting, the music, or the act of courage or love is possible without the labor that takes place out of sight in the deep. I thought, what a beautiful, beautiful story about what we do. Because we come together, we break surface together, we come, we hug, and, and sometimes we show up authentically, sometimes we don't. Um, and it's okay, we show up the best we can, but we break surface here, but then really where the work really gets done or has the opportunity to get done is, is in our prayer work, in our spiritual practice, in our work with our practitioner. If we don't have a practitioner, prayer partner, you're selling yourself short. I would not be standing before you today without without all of the wonderful practitioners, prayer partners I've had in my life because we need people to bring us back. Practitioner, what they'll do is bring you back to the truth of your being if they're a good practitioner. Instantaneously and immediately. And the reason that it takes so long to become a practitioner is because you've got to get, you can't take anyone where you haven't gone. So if you haven't had the transcendent experience, you can't take anybody there. Because I, I, was, I mentioned at first service that when I watched Brian McLeod play and I watch any of these musicians, but I, I, Brian was really prominent on, on Christmas Eve here and I was watching him. But he goes into that space, you can see it in his eyes, he goes into that space of transcendence. And they all do, if you watch them closely. Because you, got, you have to go out of your ego and you have to go out of your personality to play the instrument well. Because what happens is it plays itself through you. And what that does then is as, just as a practitioner does, it creates that space for me to step into. So when we come together, the reason that we do the prayer we do, the reason that we do the music that we do, is to help create the space, that portal, that we can step through to the beloved. The reason that we have lovers in our lives is because our divine nature and the nature of spirit is to love. And so I have, I have a, a beautiful partner in my life that has helped and continues to help me grow in the, the capacity to love. But and what, but what she represents is the portal to the beloved. But the infinite is so uh, insurmountable and no, unknowable that I can't, I can't love at that capacity. But that's why we're called to love one another. That's why we're called to write the music and sing the song and, and create the things that we create. So I wanted to share with you a bit of information that, that I pulled up on, on transcendence, which I think is quite lovely. Because we need, to have, we need to understand what this whole thing is. What does it mean to have a spiritual experience? What does it mean to be a spiritual teacher or to be a healer or to be a uh, whatever we want to call them? Because there's so many names and they're on the planet and then scientists will tell you, you guys are crazy. 
There's no God. And for that person, it's done unto you as you believe. You got it. Okay. I get it. This is a, an article that I pulled up, and I'm not going to read you the whole thing because I'll bore you to tears. But um, what I'm going to, I want to cite it. It's called the transcendent, the transcendent experience, conceptual, theoretical, and epimetological perspectives. I'm not going to read any of that to you. I'm just pulling the, the juicy stuff out for you. But it talks about a transcendent experience and a transcendent experience. And, and the reason I think this is so precious and why we need to talk about this, continue to talk about it and nurture it, is because when that incident happened in Connecticut, and you know, I, I was watching some uh, television the other day and talking about the number of shootings that have gone on in the last year in the United States. And when I read uh, Abdullah Sharif's article about this young man and the, and the commonality of all these shooters that have no experience of the transcendent, so life becomes empty and negative and powerless for them. And so I wanted to just flesh that out more and more because the more we understand it, it gives, us, it gives me insight and reason and, and a, a place to focus my energy and my love. And so I know that the transcendent experience we need to keep alive and it, and it has to be real for me. What, what the transcendent experience does for me is it, it allows me to bring heaven and earth together. It's a, it's a chapter in, in, a, in a book I'm working on right now um, uh, with, a, with a, a grandfather and his granddaughter talking about building a cabinet. And so he sends her away to imagine the cabinet that she wants to build for her mother on Mother's Day. And he says to her now, at the end of the, the, the purpose of the, the, in the chapter, the essence of it is, and, and uh, I'll let you know when the book's done, but the essence of it is, is that when we have an idea and we bring it to form, we bring heaven and earth together. We bring heaven and earth together. Whenever we bring an idea into form, we bring heaven and earth together. That's what it is. So our opportunity is to bring heaven and earth together, but we have to be in the frequency of the idea that wants to take a, a, a shape. And if we're in our ego and we're in our personality, it's not a big enough idea. It's a very high state. Manifestation is a very high state of kingdom too. I've talked about the kingdoms. I'll talk, I'm not going to talk about them today. But we are, the, the movement right now is to go, spiritually is to go from kingdom two to kingdom three, which then becomes we're in divine co-creation which is not only my ideas, but my ideas and the infinite's ideas become one. And then the whole texture of our life changes. But when we have the transcendent experience, it's a door, it's a portal. And so in this, it describes the principal characteristics of the experience involves transcendence of one's personal identity and dissolution of a primary conscious focus on or grounding in one's ego. So our ego gets set aside. We start to feel different. It's a different place to be. And it's a powerful place to be. Another frequently described element of this experience is the perception of merging or identification with the source of being, whether known as God or higher self or the absolute or eternal. Holmes used all those. Dr. Holmes used all those in our textbook. This experience is most commonly described as both transpersonal, which is beyond the person, and transcendent, which is that, that depth. So there's a mystery to it. Beyond perception and beyond human understanding. And there's two types. There's two types of transcendence. One is called the green type. Didn't know this until I looked it up. One is called the green type. And the green type is very transitory. It can be an ecstatic moment. You, have, you hear a song, you go, wow. And you're just captured by it. Something's going on. It's just powerful and amazing. And it's this, sort of this, this spike. As a, as a young boy, I would have these, these bursts of energy that would just go up my spine. And I, thought, I used to think it was my guardian angel that was, you know, because that was the, the story I told about it. But it was really those ecstatic moments of just aliveness. And I thought, what's this? 
But it would always happen at the oddest times. And when I would, whenever I would try to make it happen, it would never happen. So I had to be out of it. I had to sort of be in a different frame of mind for that, that portal to open. And I know I described, you've all, you've all had those experiences. 43% of Americans, and I'm going to say North Americans, have described it and said that this is part of their experience. So I think I'm speaking to the choir when I talk about this. It's real for you. The second type is the mature type. The mature type of transcendent experience, by contrast, is usually characterized as long-lasting. It's long-lasting. The feeling associated with a mature transpersonal experience is a more enduring serenity and equanimity. So serenity and balance. This feeling of all is well, despite what's going on. It's all going to work out. It is not so much about trans, transient mystical feelings or phenomena as about entering into a new state of awareness. And it is more likely to be experienced as a self-transformational shift in one's consciousness or spiritual perception. William James, in his classic, The Varieties of Religious Experience, offered his perception on samadhi. And samadhi is that deep trance state that the Hindus will go into in meditation. Samadhi, you come face to face with facts which no instinct or reason can ever know. Those who have had this experience are illumined and profoundly changed. Evelyn Underhill, in her work, The Essentials of Mysticism, said there's three, three stages. The first is a desire. The first is a desire sufficiently strong to overcome our natural sloth and our primitive horror of change. Everybody says they want change, but when one thing changes, everything changes, and it's uncomfortable. In Richard Rohr's book, uh, Adam's Return, he, ta- he speaks about it beautifully here. I want to share something from that with you, because it ties in so beautifully with this idea. Rohr, Rohr says, nature, beauty, suffering, work, sexuality, and ordinary humdrum were seen. He's talking about sacred ritual and, tra- and, and, in- and initiation in this book. Nature, beauty, suffering, work, sexuality, and ordinary humdrum were seen to have transcendent significance. Basically, they gave life meaning. And that is the one thing the soul cannot live without. Our souls have to have meaning. So when we see people lost, we see people playing their their pathologies out in the world, their souls, they're they're not connected with their souls. Marcia Sutton talks about it in the co-creation process. When we're in kingdom one, which is victim consciousness, our souls are, are, are asleep. And so he says, heaven and earth have to be put together or this world never becomes home. See, we have to live in both. We have to have the physical and the mystical. We have to have the transcendent and the real. It's a marriage. And you know this. Most of you live there more often than not. That integration is a necessary human and spiritual task, which initiation succeeded at. And we've lost a lot of our initiation. But initiation succeeded at that. So much so that cultures had no word for religion. It was the same as life. Because they knew to have this transcendent experience, this connection with spirit, is, is my life. In the ancient Sanskrit and Hindu philosophy, classically states the summary religious experience with three words, tat tam asi, tat tam asi. Loosely translates to what is over there is the same as you. What is over there is the same as you. Jesus of Nazareth said, I, am, I and the Father are one. He's saying the same thing. And in Matthew, he was quoted as saying, what you do to others, you do to me. Ernest Holmes said, there is no private good. We're all connected. It's oneness. We just sang a song about oneness. It's oneness. We are connected. And the more transcendent we become, and the more experiences we have, the more times we live from that, we get it. 
And then, it, and then it informs all of our decisions. Rohr continues, one is not initiated until unless one has to overcome the dualistic minds. Heal the separation. God and I are one. Spirit and I are one. The absolute and I are one. It's my life. God's life is my life. That is to say, union with everything has always been the experiential goal of initiation. One taste, a free sample of the real, had to be given early in life to keep one hungry, harmonious, and holy. Otherwise, the whole human project is finally scattered and incoherent. It creates neurotics, rebels, and loners. Read the newspaper. Neurotics, rebels, and loners. Without a center point, the personality and the cultural culture shoot out in all kinds of eccentric directions. And I want, to, I want to shorten this. His practice is meant by observing. So here's what part of this is about. In practice, this practice of initiation, this practice of transcendence is meant in observing and surrendering your small self, your fears and your inadequate ideas and your illusions about what matters. Somehow an initiate has to see the widescreen and for at least a moment find goodness and meaning in what was offered to him or her right in front of them which is all we can love anyway. Beautiful stuff. So what he's saying is, is that we have to put aside what limits our experience of the infinite. It's one of the reasons that I'm so fond of the co-creation process is because we have small ideas that limit us and we stay, we stay wrapped in the cocoon of, uh, cocoon of limitation. And so we don't have this, this grander experience. We're not in that intimate conversation. And there's nothing wrong. You're not, we haven't done anything wrong. It's just we haven't done it. Or we've done pieces of it. So that's the first piece. We have to have the willingness. We have, to have the, we have to have the desire sufficiently strong to overcome our natural sloth, our natural laziness. Because it requires energy. I don't want to have to look at my stuff. You look at my stuff. Get back to me tomorrow. Take two aspirin and call me in the morning. Boy, I wish I could do that. Wouldn't that be great if we could just do all the healing for one another? But see, when we do our own work, we are helping. We're clearing the space. So the first one is the willingness to overcome, the desire to make a change. The second involves an experience of illumination, a deep sense of divine companionship. So we move into the oneness, say, God's life is my life, and all of a sudden, it's not just in our head, it's in our heart. There's this space that I go, wow, I think that's happening. And for me, a lot of times, I'll, I'll be here with you in this, and you know, my, I'm in my intellect a lot. And then afterwards, all of a sudden, it, it'll just, something will just pop for me, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, there we are. Yeah. And sometimes not. Sometimes in meditation. So the experience of illumination. And the third stage is the true goal of mystic experience, the intuitive contact with that ultimate reality that theologians mean by the term Godhead so that ultimate reality, so we have that ultimate experience. So we're not only illumined, but all of a sudden we're in conversation. Holmes used to say, Dr. Holmes used to say, when deep calls unto deep, deep will answer. I mean, this guy was a mystic. He spent his whole life doing this work. And he wasn't the only mystic. He just happened to codify it in a way, and here we are today celebrating his work. He was a brilliant, prolific writer. Without his writing, we wouldn't be here. Joel Goldsmith had the same experience. Joel wrote a couple books. Ernest Holmes wrote 50 of them. People say, Ernest, we love what you have to say. It's accessible. He threw everybody a rope. Joel went off and prayed and meditated for 15 years, had the same experience, wrote a, he wrote a few books. He wrote, uh, he wrote several, but not like Ernest. For whatever reason, they were saying the same thing. So these qualities of characteristics of transcendence include unity, positive moods, transcendence of space and time, 
Noetic incorrigibility, which means knowing without doubt. Paradox, paradoxicality, you know paradox? Your neighbor has a dock, you have a dock, you both have boats parked there, you got paradox. <laughs> I couldn't resist. All right. That means two things that seem in opposition to one another, standing side by side. Ineffability, trans, trans, uh, I'll skip that word. <laughs> Transcendency, got it, and positive changes in attitude and behavior. So if, you, if any of those qualities resonate with you, you're nipping in spirit. I'll share this last piece from this article. It's about Abraham Maslow. And during the end of his life, he described how his experience of the transpersonal or the transcendent had changed in recent years. So as he got older, his experience changed. And Maslow wrote about the hierarchy of man. He spoke of the effects of having multiple peak experiences over a lifetime of the continuum between what we had termed green and mature transpersonal experiences. He said, I found that as I got older, my peak experiences became less intense and also became less frequent. As these poignant and emotional discharges died down in me, something else happened that has come into my consciousness, which is a very precious thing. I can define this intuitive consciousness very simply for me as the simultaneous perception of the sacred and the ordinary. The sacred and the ordinary. See, when, we're in that, when we step through that portal, then everything becomes sacred. Everything is holy now. One, one of my favorite songs. This type of consciousness has certain elements in common with peak experiences. They are awe, mystery, surprise, and aesthetic shock. These elements are present but are, are constant rather than climactic. In other words, they don't spike. It's a way of life. It's a way of being. I tell people all the time they come in, their life is just upside down. And, 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 and I'll say, well, I don't have a quick fix for you. But I have a way of life for you. And then if you engage, it will change. But it requires engagement. And I looked everywhere. I went everywhere before I landed here. And then I'd get up and I'd come to the, sit in the back and I'd listen to the minister and I'd try and punch a hole in what they were saying. And there was no, I could never disagree. I'm like, hmm. I agree with that too. Uh-huh. But I kept sitting by the door in case I found one thing I disagree with so I could leave and then go find something else. Because if I found this place, if I found a place that I thought might work for me, then I'd have to go to work. Who wants to go to work? I'd rather just keep looking. Oh, good. Proved him wrong. Now I can get on another one. I'd much go check out the Methodists. Maybe the Methodists have something going on. find my place here. Constant rather than climatic. The words I would use to describe this kind of experience would be high plateau. So Maslow called it high plateau. And he said, these plateau experiences are described quite well in many literatures. This is not the standard description of the acute mystical experience, but the way the world looks if the mystical experience really takes. If your mystical experience changes your life, you go about your business as the great mystics did. If you've gone through this experience, you can be more in the here and now than with all the spiritual exercises that there are. So the reason that we do spiritual practice, the reason that we do classes and we do the inquiry, the reason that we do the, the examination of our lives is so that we can clear away those, those errors of belief and those limiting ideas about ourselves 
so that we can be a more fully orbed and fully expressed, which is finding the Christ, which is home, what, what I've been using all month. Holmes was, was a mystic that knew that, that that mystical experience was alive and possible for everyone, but not everyone was interested in it. And yet, if we look at the world and how we can help facilitate a change, how we can make a difference out there, we know that what's missing is exactly what we talk about and, 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 and profess to be part of every week. And that's why it's so important and precious. And that's why this is such an amazing, what a wonderful opportunity. We live, I mean, we can look at all the problems and the limitations in the world, but I mean, look at the opportunity we have that we live in a, uh, a society, in a country, in a world that allows us to have these conversations, to take ancient mystical tradition and apply it in our own lives. But as long as we apply it from the consciousness of victim, or we move ourselves up from victim to realize my spirit's becoming awake, and I'm now going to be in the kingdom of manifestation, which is the second kingdom, and there's nothing wrong with any of these kingdoms. We've got to go through all of them. And we live in all of them. We live in the first, second, third, and sometimes the fourth kingdom. Fourth kingdom is that, that absolute experience. But, but what I'm saying is that we've got to go, through, once we realize to be able to understand, oh, I'm in the second kingdom. I am ma- in manifestation. I'm in manipulation. I'm doing my affirmative prayer so that I can have a, a bigger house, a better house, a new partner, uh, fix my partner, um, um, a better job, creative expression, whatever it may be. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's, that's part of the, the curriculum. But then all of a sudden to get to the third kingdom, we've got to give up most of what we have acquired in the second kingdom to step through there which is the act of surrender. It takes courage to go from victim to second kingdom. And then when we've, we've mastered that second kingdom, then to step into the third and say, oh, I want to be in a state of grace. I want to live in this. I want to be informed so that everything I do is then sacred. But it's the fine-tuning. And no one can tell us, but we can tell ourselves. I'm going to because I have a little more time. You won't tell the curse, guys. Is Barbie Lee here? She gave me a hard time about going over last week, so maybe she's not. I want to one of my favorite films. Well, I, I love film. I love story and film. And there's a wonderful closing a scene in the, the movie The Verdict with Paul Newman. I don't know if you've seen it. Paul's been dead several years. And I just loved, I love great acting. I love great writing. And there's a soliloquy he reads to the jury at the end. And, and I don't know if you know the movie or not, but this young girl died in the hospital and they, were, there was, they falsified documents to protect the doctors and protect the hospital and then Paul Newman found the people that could tell the truth. And so he's had everything stacked against him. The archdiocese is against him. They're threatening to have him disbarred. The judge is after him to have him disbarred. And he's got everybody around him. He's got nothing. And he stands up before the jury at the end of the movie. And he just very simply, this is his closing argument and I think it's just perfect for what we stand as a, as a movement and as a teaching. He said, so much of the time, we're just lost. Please, God, tell us what's right. Tell us what's true. There's no justice. The rich win and the poor are powerless. We become tired of hearing, of, of hearing people's lies. And, of the, and after a time, we become dead. We think of ourselves as victims, and we become victims. We become weak. We doubt ourselves. We doubt our beliefs. We doubt our institutions. We doubt the law. But today, you are the law. You are the law. Not some book, not some lawyers, not some marble statue, or the trappings of the court. Those are just symbols of our desire to be just. They are, they are in fact, a prayer. 
a fervent and frightened prayer. In my religion, they say, act as if you have faith. Faith will be given to you. If we are to have faith and justice, we need only to believe in ourselves and act with justice. And I believe there's justice in our hearts. It's such a beautiful take on the spiritual quality that we all contain. We all know what's right in our hearts. But to be connected to what's right and to live from that is what the transcendent experience is. We've had an amazing year here this last year. Just incredible. Best year ever. Best year ever. Uh, You know, just an amazing, amazing experience. I even got Dale Lahotsky to sit up front today. (laughs) Stefan's... What I'm going to do is we're going to do a holy gram in the first two rows because no one sits there anyway, but that way people will feel like they're behind a row. And then we can save the seats for the back. But thank you, Stefan, for sitting in the front row. But this, this past year has been just phenomenal. I want to just touch on it because, you know, everywhere, everything I turn on is highlighting the past year. Most of it has not been pretty. But we started out with 366 Days of Richer Living, and we used that book. We used Dr. Ernest Holmes' book. And the reminders each day of what richer living is, a fullness of life to live from that, that transcendent experience and to share that and to dive into that more often than not. We had the integration of our two organizations, which the tool for that was the uh, co-creation that we brought home and been using every month. We did our white stone ceremony, which we'll do in January coming up, where we write a name down, a quality that we want to embody for the year. I know that I still have my stone at home. Laura has hers. We look at it every day. The white stone. What is the quality? What is the new name? We're given a clean slate. We did Good Friday concert with all of our beautiful musicians, our musical team. Then we did the, the Windspear, another amazing experience. We're, and we're not going back to this year just because we've, we're, we're reassessing that and looking at our resources and how we can do it without taxing the, the time and talents and efforts of so many, so few. But we'll get back there. We had a record number of people in classes. We brought in Dr. Joyce Hawks, amazing scientist, biologist, and, and shaman. Carl Anthony was here last week with us. Carl was just, uh, just a delight. He told me, I said, what are you going to do when you get home? And he said, when I get home, I'm going right to the hospital to see these kids. And, and he was going home on Christmas Day. He said, tomorrow I'll get in late, and tomorrow I'm going to the hospital. And I said, you're going to the hospital to see the kids on Christmas? He says, yeah, because the ones that are really sick are stuck there for Christmas. They can't go home. And it's, like, it's very quiet. And I thought, oh, what a beautiful thing. So he's down there, down there with his guitar, singing him songs and being inspired. We had Reverend Connie Nissen's ordination. Reverend Catherine McLeod's ordination is right around the corner. And it takes a lot of time to become an ordained minister here, especially when you're not a... It took me four years as a, a, a senior minister, but as a staff minister, assistant minister, it's a seven, minimum of seven years. We had six new practitioners, we, we, which is a wonderful thing. Practitioner does, is not something that people just step into lightly. It's years and years of work on their own consciousness. And we celebrate that. We, our podcasts reach about 3,000 people each month, and we will be launching our video, uh, video streaming here in the next month or two. We've got, we're, we're slowly acquiring the equipment, putting that together finally. We're doing divine dining. We had a beautiful divine dining experience, and we're launching it again. It's a great way to connect with people, invite them into your home or go to visit their home. It's a beautiful thing. Our Toastmasters is alive and well. Our teens are bopping along amazingly well. Our sacred healing circles, I've mentioned, we'll continue to do that work. Our labyrinth walk and our team of, of labyrinth people, amazing, beautiful experience and our beautiful labyrinth. Our new model for church, which I'm very excited about, and you'll know more about that in the years to come, in the months to come. 
We've done training for leadership. We'll continue to do that. Cosmic Kids program is extraordinary. You know, one of the things that, that warms my heart is when I watch what happened in Connecticut and to watch our little ones and our tweens and the people that are there helping support them and having their, their identification with the transcendent experience because it's never too late and it's, it's never too early for that. And they get that taste of that here. It gets laid down here for them. And I want to thank Sam Simpson. She's just done a beautiful job with our program. We have our World Peace Meditation, which is tomorrow morning at 5. And the reason we do it in group, Richard Rohr said it so beautifully here. I want to, I want to read him because he says it better than I can. He says, without a group, nothing goes very deep or lasts very long in this spiritual life. We need one another. We need one another. Without a group, nothing goes very deep or lasts very long in the spiritual life. So tomorrow morning's meditation is rich and wonderful because of the group. I had my doctoral ceremony, my 10-year anniversary here, and also the, uh, that beautiful book that people wrote in. Thank you so much. It was lovely. I, wrote it, I read it finally over the holidays. It's just beautiful. So it's a treasure that I'll always have. Our video team, as I mentioned... And then we, we said goodbye to some beautiful people this last year. We said goodbye to, to Al Robert. Al was a wonderful artist and been very supportive. He and his wife Marion would come and sit in the back. Just an amazing, wonderful, beautiful man. Always generous. Alex Thomas Haig, we had his memorial here. He was a young man that was lost in the Mill Creek Ravine and Millwoods Ravine and uh, had taken his own life. We did a memorial here with about 500 people. It was just so sad and so powerful. But to be able to stand in our, our teaching and understand that life truly is eternal, to support and love these people through that experience and love one another, it's, uh, it's beyond description. And then recently we, we said goodbye to Doug Soprovich, and Doug uh, was battling cancer for the last year. Young, beautiful man. Place was packed once again. People, sto- people stood in the bookstore in the, in the entrance because we ran out of seats. But just beautiful things. Beautiful, beautiful things to look back and celebrate and to acknowledge and to be able to be here for people. To be able to stand with one another in the sorrow, not just the joy of life, but the sorrow of life and the pain of life. And to just be kind and, 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 and to love what is, as Richard Rohr said. We just have this moment to love in and to choose in. And despite what goes on and despite the idiotic behavior of people that spin out in aberrant ways, in erratic ways, to become the loner or the rebel, when we have the wisdom and the insight to say there's somebody that doesn't even understand who they are, they're asleep. They're not born in original sin, they're born in original ignorance. But but to not let it pull us down, to look at it with intelligence and wisdom and clarity and to continue to do our own work spiritually, because as we clear the way for ourselves, we clear the way for the world. As we continue to love in a deeper way that essence of, of life we are and love it in one another, it clears the way for everyone. So I'm just, I stand here with, in great gratitude for the opportunities that this movement and this teaching, this, this small little movement, or not a big movement, but it's, it is so precious for those that have had our, their lives transformed. It's precious to me. I don't know what I would have done. I would have done something. I always tell Norm McLeod, if I'm, I wasn't doing this, I'd be doing something else. But, but the point is, is that if we answer the call and we look at our lives and we're willing to step through that door, because many times we do feel lost. But we are the law. We are the ones that choose. 
Where we go with this community, what we do in 2013 is up to us. It's not serendipitous. And as we continue to, to clarify our own awareness and consciousness so that divine intuition at Homestead is the realization without any mental process at all, then we'll know the things to do. One of the things I know already to do is put down this idea of lack, that there's not enough. And it's alive in me, so it's got to be alive in you. But to, to eradicate lack in my life. I release my belief in lack. I release my need to be perfect. And I'm grateful God is the peace and the abundance that I am. That's my prayer I'm working with right now because I want to eradicate lack in my life and in the life of this community so that the abundance and the joy that is, that is promised in Scripture and all of the things that I read can show up in my life in a bigger way. It's not so I can have more. I'm sufficient to today. I don't, I don't need more in my life. I got a whole closet of clothes at home. Some after the holidays I can't get on right now, but give me a couple of weeks. <laughs> but the point is, is that, that, that it's not about that. It's about giving birth to this new consciousness. I, I see us this year being self-sufficient, that our, our intentional giving and that our, our Sunday offering, we're self-supporting. We're not using, um, because up till now, when I first got here, we had bingos. Sometimes we'd have four bingos a month. I went down to those bingos. I didn't like those bingos. There were a lot of people in the bingo hall that I was, I was admonishing, which was none of my business, because they were having fun bingo. And I said, you should go get a job. You shouldn't be in a bingo hall. And everybody was smoking. I quit smoking 14 years ago. I don't want to start smoking again. So I'm smoking the, sec- smoking the secondhand smoke, and I'm scolding people. And I said, we gotta, I came back here. I said, we got to grow out of bingo consciousness. This is ridiculous. And we did. And so we're going to do the things that I know we're called to do. It's about putting, it's, it's doing the work at the level of consciousness first. What is limiting my experience of life? What is limiting our opportunities to have such a, an amazing impact in the world? Because the world doesn't even know. Most of the world doesn't even know we're around. But how can we continue to have an impact in a powerful, meaningful, wonderful way? So I see this community as self-supporting beyond. So then when we fundraise and when we do special events, that money goes into a separate account because most of the time we're using to, to make up for shortfall. And let's get rid of shortfall consciousness, abundantly supplied in every way. And what if it was easy? What if it was easy and joyful? Instead of, oh, there he goes. Mm. <laughs> what if it was easy? I'm for easy, but I'm also for clarity. This is what we teach. And if we don't do it, who's going to do it? I don't know. Somebody will at some point in time. But why don't we step up to the plate and say, yeah, let's do that. That's a wonderful thing. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Support me, support us in that idea of eradicating lack in our lives. We'll do that through the sacred healing circles. When, when a few of you get together and we do that work, it's powerful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. We're going to keep that alive this year. So 2013 will be better than ever. Best year ever. I know it. I know it for you, I know it for me, and so it is.